So, good morning, everybody. My name's Raj. Uh, I'm one of the uh, elders here at Jubilee. Uh, good to see you all. Um, if it's your first time here at Jubilee, then, or, or you're a guest or a family member of Harry who got baptised this morning, or maybe someone who's just come off of the Alpha course after eight, nine weeks of delving into this, uh, these big questions of life, as it, as it were, Whoever you are, here's an invitation. Here's an invitation. Keep coming. Keep coming. Um, And I mean that, actually, because, listen, church is a provoking, dynamic place to be. It's an exciting place to me. I was speaking to a couple of guys this morning, and they said, we don't want to come to boring church. Or I've probably paraphrased that a little bit. But you know what? This is not what we're about Um, Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you feel good enough or not, whether your life is all together or not, this church could be a place for you. It's an invitation. Let me tell you, church is anything but boring. Keep coming. Keep coming. Um, Over the last few months, we've been looking at the life of Jesus as depicted in the Gospel of John, a book written years and years ago, a real eye-opener into who Jesus really said he was. Not just speculation, not just what I think, not this is how I think my Jesus is like, but the real deal, historic, life-changing Jesus. And at the heart, and at the heart of this Christian message, this man's life is an event that is radically shocking, almost out of place, jerks us in every sense. In fact, outrageous to so many other worldviews and faiths about God. What event is that? It's this. A man dying on a cross, suffering over 2,000 years ago for our sins, for our God-belittling attitudes and actions. This, this, This event is at the heart of the Gospel the joy news of Christianity, the best news that Christians have ever heard. That's odd, that, isn't it? Does that strike you as unusual? And so really, that's the question I want us to look at this morning, the problem of suffering and brokenness and how Christianity, this historic event, approaches this great conundrum of life. I know those of you who've been on the Alpha course, it's your number one question. If you're not a Christian here this morning, some of what I'll share with you today might come as a surprise. In fact, I'd go as far as to say, through his suffering, God, Jesus, might meet some of you this morning, today, in the midst of your suffering and confusion and questions. Will you be open to that? Will you be open to that? And you might be thinking, hold on, it's baptisms. Can't we a bit can't we a bit can't we be a bit smiley and rah-rah? Woohoo! There's visitors here, Raj. You don't want to put them off. You know what? As I've as we've watched some of the baptisms, yep, as we've looked at what all this meant, and we've got a glimpse of that this morning through what Jody uh, shared. The main theme of resurrection 
in resurrection life, in the Bible, when you read page after page, is addressing the problem of life, human suffering, and difficulty. The Bible is real. It recognizes this life actually isn't all rah-rah and upbeat. You know that, and I know that. And so the passage from the Bible I've chosen to look at today is a letter from the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Roman church himself in the midst of tremendous persecution and great uh, affliction, and eventually he was beheaded, actually. And astonishing, really, it's a letter of extraordinary hope, extraordinary joy, persevering and radical faith. So let's read it together. I'm going to be reading from the message version. It's going to be up on the screen. Romans 8, 15 to 25. You can try and follow it in your Bible, but you'll have difficulty because it's a paraphrase. <clears throat> this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending, boring life. It's adventurously expectant. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. That's what we saw in the baptism pool, didn't we? We go through the hard times with him. Then, if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only all around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs, the pain. The Bible's real. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for deliverance, hope and glory. That is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than, a wait, and than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. I love that. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us. God but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is real. Thank you, Lord, for your life in Harry. I thank you, Lord, for your life-changing uh, um, turnover, turnaround in Harry's life. I thank you, Lord, that I've known him for years and years and years when actually he was pregnant in his mom when he was growing. And I thank you, Lord, that all along, even before he was born, you'd had a purpose for him. And I pray, Lord God, as we unpack this theme of difficulty in a broken world, that we will realize that we fall somewhere in this story and actually that you have a purpose for us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> After the New Zealand uh, mosque shooting, um, um, the massacres a few days ago, 50 dead, 50 injured, news, newspapers and articles were asking, where is God? Yeah, that was the big question. Where is God? And basically, the question, um, and basically the question beneath this statement is this, if God is all-powerful but allowed this to happen, he can't be good. Or if God is all-good but couldn't stop this from happening, he can't be powerful. Either way, the all-good and all-powerful God of the Bible couldn't exist. How do we respond? It's a question we can't avoid. We certainly don't have all the answers as Christians, but we do have some, we do have some God-given thoughts 
through the Bible. And so really over the next 20 minutes, I want to share a few of these thoughts with you that I've grappled with over the years, that many of us have grappled with over the years. You know, you'll have, you know, you'll have all your stories, and you know, we, we, we know that. And, but, but actually, as, I've, <clears throat> as I speak this, as I've grappled with it over the years, this is personal to me too. It really is. When my mom died of cancer at the age at the very young age of 50, when my brother deliberately gassed himself in his car, age 28. For me, as a 22-year-old medical student at uni, this was shocking, this was distressing. It still is. So four things that I'd like to share with you this morning, not just concepts, but heart-changing truths, I feel. That gives me hope and resolve. Firstly, suffering doesn't prove, doesn't disprove the existence of God. It doesn't. Many people that I know totally disagree with this. Many people I know are in fact furious at a God who allows seemingly random suffering to happen. The philosopher J.L. Mackey, he said, it's a, it, if a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there is so, so much unjustifiable, pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful God could not exist. Some other God or no God may exist, but not the rational, not the traditional God. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? But the more I've thought about it, I'm not so sure. Because really, underlying all of this thinking is something else. It's a reasoning that says, because I can't imagine or see a good reason to allow, for God to allow suffering means that there isn't a good reason. If suffering seems pointless to me, then it must be pointless because my feelings and my thoughts must be right. I know everything. That's faith of the highest order. But you know what? Reality tells a different story, doesn't it? Verse 23 in our passage describes suffering as a kind of purposeful, pregnant, active waiting for something greater. A shaping, a molding of our lives for greater good. He compares our suffering to a pregnant mum, doesn't he? That is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminish, diminishes a pregnant mum. We're enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us all the time. The Bible recounts many stories where suffering and hardship have strengthened people and worked for good, even during, even, even during that time as people don't see it. One of our kids' favorite films is the DreamWorks animated movie, Joseph, King of Dreams. If you haven't watched it, you should. And it's based on the famous Bible story um, of real suffering and injustice. It's very, it's transforming for kids, actually. It's about a man, Joseph, an arrogant, cocky young guy who really got up, who really got up his brother's noses because he, he was his dad's favorite. Also, amazingly, despite his cockiness and the, ha his, the hand of God was always on Joseph, God's blessing. God often moves, hear this, God often moves through the unlikelies, the ones who haven't got it all together, like you and me. Eventually, Joseph's brothers come to hate him so much that in their anger and in their jealousy, they try to kill him. But in the end, they trap him in a pit and then sell him into a life of slavery and misery in Egypt. No doubt Joseph will have prayed 
to God. Come on, God, get me out of this mess. Why is this all happening to me? It's not fair. But all he heard from God was silence. No help was forthcoming from God. In fact, Joseph, in fact, God allowed Joseph to fall into slavery and pain. It doesn't make sense. But as the story progresses, we see that despite his misery, despite the years of imprisonment and enslavement that God doesn't spare him from, we see the hand of God strengthening Joseph's character, refining him as he goes through trial after trial, experience after experience. Eventually, Joseph rises up to become Egypt's prime minister. And through his relationship with God, Joseph ends up saving thousands, including his own family, from famine and starvation, including the very people who persecuted him. As we follow the story, we realize that if God hadn't allowed Joseph's years of suffering, Joseph would have never been such a powerful agent for social justice and spiritual healing in his time. Through the story of Joseph's trials and tribulations, we see that the all-powerful and all-good hand of, of God was on Joseph's life and the people of Egypt's life, even in the midst of suffering, especially in the midst of suffering. And do you know what? Joseph acknowledges that in the end. He says in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, talking to his family. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Over the last 24 years as a doctor and 13 years as a church leader, I've walked with counsel, heard story after story of lives devastated by seemingly random, pointless tragedy, unfairness, suffering, relational breakdown. The Bible never ignores this. The pain of suffering is real. See what verse, verse um, 23 says. This pain, not only, this pain is not only around us, it's within us. We feel it. The Spirit of God is arousing within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies are yearning for this to end. The Bible doesn't ignore. The Bible doesn't ignore pain and suffering yet. As I've walked with these patients and church friends over the years, as I've delved deeper into their life, it's a real privilege, many of them get, many of them quite surprisingly, astonishingly really, really, describe the hand of God on their situation that gives them great resolve and strength to carry on. They describe a greater purpose through what they've gone through that helps others go through similar difficulties. Inspirational, really, Spotlighting, I feel, the, the spotlighting the powerful, transforming existence of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, we also glory, not just put up with, not just get through in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. You see, the Bible challenges us story after story to question the possibility that if we can see some good reasons for suffering, even if it's further on down the line, could it not be, could it not be from God's perspective, from God's point of view, there are good reasons for all of our suffering? We just can't see it yet. 
We're just not God. Difficult, I know. So firstly, suffering doesn't improve the existence of God. Suffering continues in a world without God to make sense of it all. Second, suffering without God or the experience of suffering without God is actually far worse than if you believed in God. When tragedy strikes, often we can be tempted to respond by saying or thinking, you know what, we'd be better off without God. I don't need him anywhere. Have you ever said that? I have. Sometimes do. However, there's a problem here too. When you really think about it, suffering and hardship is an even bigger problem if you don't have a God you can trust in. That's in control. That sets the standard. It's it's true. You see, deep down, we believe in a sense of fair play, don't we? We believe in justice and morality, the right way. We, see, we, say, we say things like, that's not right, that's not uh, good, you're not being fair. We believe from the bottom of our hearts that people shouldn't suffer, that people shouldn't be excluded, that children shouldn't die of hunger or oppression. It's part of who we are. We believe this, don't we? Don't you? But have you ever asked the question, Why? Why should you believe all these things? Why do you naturally, and we all do, why do you naturally think like that? And the Bible answers this fundamental question by declaring that we are created in God's image. What a beautiful representation. We are his workmanship. We share his heart for justice and love. We're not just an accident. We naturally believe we have a moral code uh, in our, uh, deep within our souls and that somebody put it there for our good and for the world's flourishing. That somebody being God, that's what the Bible declares. You see, if, if you believe that all of humanity is just an accident, that God isn't behind it, uh, that it's just a result of violent forces coming together accidentally, that evolution and survival are the fittest, Uh, explains everything. If that's all you believe, then injustice and oppression and hunger and war shouldn't bother you at all. The strong overpowering the weak, dog eat dog, perfectly natural in the land of Dawkins. A world without God poses a much bigger problem to the idea of right and wrong, suffering and hurt. We We see that day in, day out on the news and in the papers, don't we? When you really think about it, without God, suffering is a scary place to be. Belief in the true God, Jesus, makes much more sense of suffering and turmoil, right and wrong. Think about it. So suffering doesn't disprove God. Suffering without God is infinitely worse. Three, and this is the biggie, this is the unique thing to Christianity. Christians believe in a suffering God. That's what we've been singing about, haven't we? See verse 16. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. What did Christ go through? The cross. Great, tremendous suffering. Phenomenal, really, for God to do that. We we believe in a God who put his feet in our shoes. The God of the Bible isn't some impassive observer looking on at a distance, immune to what we feel. No, quite the opposite, actually. And Jesus is a God who suffers alongside us. He knows what it's like. He relates to you. 
Crucifixion was awful, despicable, disgusting. The cross of Jesus was horrifying. Jesus said, even in the Gospels, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Luke describes him in uh, the Gospel of Luke 22, in agony, praying very fervently, his sweat like drops of blood from his face. He was in physical shock. He was a wreck. Before Jesus' crucifixion, we hear the heart-wrenching truth about what Jesus really thought about his death. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Get me out of here. I can't bear it anymore. And even on the cross, Jesus shouts out in a loud voice one of the most famous painful cries of sorrow ever heard. Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His cry, Spurgeon, the British preacher tells us, distills the concentrated anguish, pain and suffering of the world. Jesus' death was painful and horrid. But do you know what? This might come as a surprise when I say this to you. Jesus' physical torture was a walk in the park compared to what Jesus was about to go through on the cross. What do I mean? Well, not only was Jesus experiencing the terror of crucifixion, that was awful, no doubt about it, but on the cross, Jesus was also paying the unique price of all our dishonor disobedience and disregard for God. He was taking the rightful justice of hell, life without God, that we should have taken upon ourselves. Jesus was dying as a ransom for all the sins of the world, for everybody, everything, for all time, you and me, the very scars and condemnation and guilt that separates us from a pure and holy God. And hanging there, what he faces, he faces alone. Total God-forsakenness, total abandonment, total God-rejection for the first time in his entire eternal existence. Tragic. Yet Hebrews 12 says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured that horror, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, you are his joy. Jesus Christ was up on the cross, hurting, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people, forsaking him, denying him, betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in the universe, he stayed there for you. He really did as we sang his love on the line do you get the enormity of that do you get the love and joy of this Jesus listen Jesus loves you not with flowers not with a kiss not with a box of chocolates he loves you with his cross that's how much he loves you that's what these guys some of your relatives that's what, they, that's what you know Harry um, and you know relatives here and everything that's what Harry has experienced in his life 
Resurrection life through Jesus' great exchange on the cross. This isn't just a concept. No, it's brilliant news. It's joyful news. God transforms people. That, that, that God makes people new. Nothing, nothing, hear this, nothing can compare with the avalanche of grace that God pours into your life. Totally undeserved. Nothing withheld. Look, although the Bible can't always answer why God permits suffering, um, why he allows you to go through what you go through, we know for a fact it is not because he doesn't care, that he's distant, that he doesn't have compassion or love for you. The cross at its very heart tells us crystal clear, no doubt, no questions, that God loves you and his suffering changes you, rescues you, purchases you for greater purpose. That's what we prayed over Harry, didn't we? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you hear this message of Christianity? So suffering doesn't disprove the existence of God. Suffering is worse without God. And Jesus' suffering uniquely speaks of a God who understands, who cares. He loves you. Finally, fourthly, we never, ever suffer alone. We don't. On the cross, Jesus won that certainty for us. The Apostle Paul, again in Romans 8, says it this way, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever lies ahead, whatever has messed you up in the past, you need to know that God has sent you Jesus himself. And that he is enough. If you allow him, he will comfort and restore you. That's the truth. Never will I forsake you. In Corrie ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, she tells of a story of how her family get arrested by Nazis for their part in help, uh, as they help to care for um, Jews in Holland. And as a result of their compassion for us, they get punished and are taken to the horrible Ravensbrück concentration camp. And in this book, she describes the horrors of being locked up and tortured by Nazis, as well as their resilient courage and faith. And in one part of the book, she recounts a moment bending down to a sister, Betsy, lying there, skin and bones, dying on a stretcher, awful, pathetic, but still hearing Betsy in the midst of her terrifying last breaths whisper to her, we must tell people what we have learned here, Corrie. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he, Jesus, is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corrie, for we have been there. Look, I know there are times when God feels distant. He feels not there. You felt it, I felt it, we'll feel it again. I can't explain that. Suffering is a mystery. But hear this, none of us, none of us will find comfort and rest by endlessly focusing on that suffering, trying to answer why and what, trying to answer the question, why, 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 again and again. Rather, what brings rest and release in is lifting our eyes above our suffering, above our hurt, above our sorrow, and meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ, 
the, the death that says I love you, the real cross and everything it tells us about God's adoration for you and me and the hope we have in him. But do you see how, the, how this passage ends? But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. The Bible doesn't just leave us with no hope in suffering. Because the ultimate reality in God, Jesus, is a world that will one day be made right and holy. Just, as, just after the climax of the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, Samwise Gamgee, uh, Frodo's good friend, discovers that his other friend, Gandalf the wizard, was not dead as he thought but alive, and he cries, I thought you were dead, Gandalf, but then I thought I was dead myself. Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? That's what Sam, Samwise Gamgee asks Gandalf. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The, the great question of humanity, isn't it? That's, that's your question, that's my question. Is everything really broken, destroyed, God going to come untrue? Is it going to be restored? Is it going to be put right? And hear this. The answer of Christianity, the outworking of the cross and Jesus' resurrection life that we've just seen so vividly portrayed, to that big, big question, is everything sad going to come true? It's a big yes from Jesus. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. I want you to hear that this morning, crystal clear. That's the rock-solid hope of Jesus as we close. That's why we can suffer. That's why we can give ourselves wholeheartedly to others. That's why we can sacrifice. That's why we can speak into a world of turmoil and confusion. That's why, Harry, God has called you to purpose. There is a guaranteed future hope in Jesus. Revelation 24, Then I saw a new heaven. This is the hope. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, a transformed world coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride, dressed for her husband. And I, as I, and I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And as Andy said earlier on today, the guy who was playing the guitar, today could be the day that that comes true for you in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, and in your future. To the one who has rescued my soul, if the band can come up, that would be great. To the one who has rescued my soul, to the one who has welcomed me home, to the one who is Savior of all, we sing forever. Let's stand.
Yeah, Lord, I thank you for the great salvation that is in the cross. I thank you, Lord, that you answer some questions of this broken, messed up world. I thank you, Lord, that you provide comfort. You provide your very self in the midst of our difficulties. And I pray, Lord God, as we're celebrating this amazing day for Harry, his family, and the church, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will remind us all that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are enduring, enduring, and that there is hope eternal in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.